Good afternoon. Uh, our daughter Lydia came in. We got home. She just got there with a friend of hers, Jennifer, and they're hiking on the Appalachian Trail from tonight through Thursday, or meeting us Thursday to pick them up somewhere. So Lydia was all excited about that. They had loaded their backpacks down, and I took them to Damascus. There's some place out there, Outfitters Club, evidently it's right beside where you get on the Appalachian Trail. And while we were headed down the road, I have never seen this happen before. A bear ran out in front of the car on the road down to Damascus. And I said, ladies, you packing heat? Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, Lydia is like, oh, dad. But uh, anyway... Remember them in prayer, you know. Dad thinks of every, you know, you think of everything that could happen. And seeing a bear cross the road wasn't a good feeling. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, tonight, actually looking at a continuation of a message from last Sunday night. We've been looking in the Hall of Faith. Talking about role models that are worth considering. And in Hebrews chapter 11, there are a list of godly people and a description of those godly people. And tonight, we're going to look at the second part of one we looked at last week, Noah. And we're going to talk a great deal about the fact of standing firm when you're lonely as well. But let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. I ask you to stand as I read one verse, Hebrews 11, verse 7, and we will be referring to Genesis as we look at Noah's account. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Noah. Thank you that, Father, he was faithful. And tonight, as we remember him, uh, Father, we ask you provide us with strength that we need to be faithful regardless of what we face, Lord. May we point to you. Guide us in this time. And, Father, I just ask that you speak beyond what I can. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, it's interesting as you look at the flood stories throughout the world and actually many, many different cultures throughout the world have an account of a flood. Um, our American Indians across our nation, actually there are several accounts. I want to read a few of these. One West Coast Indian tribe tells a legend of how one man was saved from a flood by riding on the head of a mythological creature named Earth. <laughs> Another Indian tribe in Arizona talks about a man named Montezuma and a friendly coyote who survived a flood in a boat that Montezuma had prepared and kept hidden on a mountaintop. After the flood, the coyote sent out to see how much land is visible. And even in China, there is a story, a tradition, and the Chinese characters... For flood, there's actually three of them. One is water. 
one of these symbols is a boat, and the third symbol actually represents eight people. So it's interesting. And then when you go to Peru, there's a legend uh, connected with the Incas that talked about all people were drowned by a great flood before the Incas became a great people. In Cuba, there's a story of an old man who knew a flood was coming, so he built a great ship, brought his family on board, had a lot of animals that joined them. Uh, the Mexican flood tradition talks about a man who saved himself, his family, and some animals by floating on a raft. Must have been a big raft. As the waters began to subside, he sent out a vulture to find land, which didn't return, so he sent out a hummingbird, which did return, carrying a branch with green leaves on it. Even Alaska, there is an account, tells of a father of their ancestors, warned in a dream a flood was going to destroy the earth, so he built a large raft, saved himself, his family, all kinds of animals on that raft. But the animals could talk. And you know what they did? They started complaining. So for punishment, no more talking. It's a good thing God doesn't do that to us. We'd be a mute culture, wouldn't we? Um, if, he, if he did that. The Hawaiians even have a, a story of great wickedness on the earth. One righteous man, his name was Nuu. A little bit close to Noah. Nuu. He built a great canoe, filled it with plants, animals. After the flood ended, there was the first sight of the moon. And they thought it was a god named Cain, and they worshipped this god, Cain became displeased with the people. He rode down on a rainbow. No Skittles. <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. Uh, no apologized and Cain went back up into heaven on the rainbow, but the rainbow remained as a token of Cain's forgiveness. Then there's the Lithuanians who tell about how their supreme God was ready to destroy everyone and so sent a great flood uh, of small group of people went to a large mountaintop as the waters continued to rise. They would have drowned, but their God accidentally dropped the shell of a nut he was eating, and the people used it as a boat and were saved. Must have been a large nut. Uh, and then one last one with Hindus of India, who tell a, a story of a man who built a ship, and along with him seven others survived a great flood, because of a fish that drew the boat to the ground on top of a mountain in the Himalayas. Interestingly enough, that story goes on to talk about a man who got drunk and his two sons had to take care of him. Now, the whole point of sharing all these stories is the fact that there is a story all over the earth of a great flood gives confidence to the fact there was a great flood. Uh, that happened all over our world. Um, and tonight, as we continue to look at this account, it was an impossible task God gave to Noah as he gave plans for building this ark and then, amazingly enough, to send the animals to the ark. It's not like he went on this big hunt to find every animal where, you know, a pair of animals, come on, guys, you got to come to check off that list. No, it says that the animals came to the ark as God was the one who had oversight over this whole uh, saving of the animals and of the family that got upon the ark. 
God was in control. Matter of fact, as we read about the design of the ark, there was no anchor, no wheel, (laughs) no sails, no oars. There wasn't even a rudder. Why? Because God is the one who steered the ark. He was the one that was in charge. So, looking on the outline, first I want to note Noah's faith demonstrated by perseverance in the midst of mockery. Let's look in Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. In other words, he had a twofold job. In faithfulness, he worked on the ark, but he would take time where he would turn around from constructing that ark to preach. And he would preach a word of warning. Hey, guys, there is a flood that's coming. God has called me to build this large vessel, this ark, as a means of escape from his judgment, from this flood. And I'm sure the people thought, Woo, Noah has lost his marbles. He is a nutcase. Imagine a conversation. Maybe it went something like this. Noah, what's an ark? I've never seen one before. According to blueprints, a hollow boat intended to float on water. Noah, you're more than 100 miles from the nearest body of water. Where's the water going to come from? Well, God's going to send a flood. Oh, and that boat's going to float on the flood? That's right. Okay, but why is this thing so big? It's going to hold a pair of every species of land animal which breathes through the nose. Oh, and you're going to round them all up, Noah? No, God's going to bring them to the boat. And how are you going to take care of thousands of animals on a boat? I have no idea. (laughs) What about us, you know? People, we breathe through the nose. Unless it's hay fever season, then it's kind of questionable. You're invited to join me. There'll be plenty of room. Many people want to come on board. And what if we don't? You'll drown. Who told you this stuff, Noah? God. God told me. You mean everybody who doesn't buy your story of a coming flood and get on that boat will be killed by the judgment of God? That's right. There's a hundred years where Noah preaches, where Noah works on this boat. And sadly enough, no response. Has he preached? Has he had a passion and compassion for the people that they would turn from their wicked ways and follow God? The description of the flood, you know, it's such a powerful description as we read about the hearts of the people as the flood, God's judgment was on the way. Verse 5 of chapter 6, we're told, the Lord saw how, in Genesis, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. No room for God. No room for love. Just room for self-serving evil pursuits. 
Verse 6, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. His heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I'll wipe mankind who I have created from the face of the earth. How tragic. You know, it's interesting as we look in the scriptures. It is a story of man's hearts who are still in rebellion. But God goes in a loving pursuit. To rescue those who have rebelled against him. We come to Second Peter chapter 3. And we're told that another judgment will occur. This time not of water. But a judgment that will come of fire. Where those who do not turn to God. Those who do not seek his forgiveness. Those who do not repent and head their direction. And change their thinking toward him. They're going to face judgment. That's what the scriptures tell us. And it's a warning that is repeated. You see, as Noah preached, he he had a two-point message. (laughs) Basically, he talked about the fact God wants to rescue you. That's what this boat is about. He wants to give you another chance. He wants you to turn his direction. He's sending judgment. But there's a way of safety. And there's a way of rescue. But if you do not pursue that way of rescue... There's judgment. There's judgment that will occur. And that's still a message as we read through the New Testament. There is a judgment of fire that will occur. And God has sent a Savior. He has sent a way of escape. And He will return. And we will meet Him in the sky. But only if we give our hearts to Him, only if we repent, only if we seek His forgiveness. Noah was a man whose power was not in how great he preached and how great he spoke and how many responded to his message. But the key was that he had responded to God's message. That he had had found that mercy and that hope by turning to that message. Although those around him continued to act in unbelief and even mocked him, made fun of him. You know, this morning in Sunday school, In the class I was in, we talked about some of the prophets. What a rough job to be a prophet. They were lonely and they suffered. And often God asked them in presenting the message to be living examples of that message. And he asked them to do some things that seemed... Just a few of these. uh, Consider Isaiah... God said, Isaiah, I want you to take off all your clothes and wander around the area naked. What? Or Jeremiah, I want you to take your underwear and I want you to hide it under a rock and then go retrieve it after a long period of time. You know, and, and then also to Jeremiah, I want you to put on a cattle yoke and to walk around with a, this yoke upon your shoulders. And this occurred until another prophet came and he broke it off. And Then there was Hosea. Remember Hosea? God said, I want you to marry a prostitute. And this woman will be unfaithful to you. And you will have a daughter whose name means unloved. Which represented God. And how he reached out and how he was rejected. And how his people, his nation, how Israel would reject him. And then there was Jonah. Remember Jonah? God says, I want to use you to speak my message 
to people. To the Ninevites. And Jonah said, not the Ninevites. Anybody but them. I'm not going. He did everything he could. He went the wrong direction. You know the story. Gets swallowed by a big fish. Ends up being regurgitated. Right there on the shore. And had a real heart to heart with God. As he went and he shared the message. People come to Christ. You have this huge revival. People are getting saved. People are coming to the message and the, and the grace of God. And Jonah's mad about it. And he whines and he cries. And he says, God, just kill me. As we look at all these prophets and, and what they faced. They were lonely. But they were faithful. Many people probably looked at him and said, well, they're just goody two-shoes. Matter of fact, you know, I looked up where we get this goody two-shoes from. It's kind of interesting because I didn't know. I had never heard the origin of goody two-shoes. It actually started with an orphan who only had one shoe. And a man saw this orphan, had a heart of compassion, and bought a new pair of shoes for this orphan who decided to live up to that kindness and constantly notice other people who needed help. And thus became known as Goody Two Shoes. And reaching out to help those who needed help. As we think about what it is to be a Christian in a world that's countercultural to what we're called to be, we seem a little strange. I love how A.W. Tozer describes a Christian. Says Christians are they're odd. Uh, you feel love for the one you've never met. You talk every day to someone you can't see, and you expect to go to heaven because what someone else has done for you. That's the word very odd. Uh, secondly, there's a patience in the midst of silence. God required Noah to believe something would happen that had never happened before, something quite unlikely. And you know what's amazing as we look in the scripture? God speaks to Noah as we read in Genesis chapter 6 that Noah walked with God and he received these instructions and he was faithful. But there's no record that he heard from God again. He continued to preach in a land where nobody wanted to listen. He continued to build, although there had never been flooding before. He continued to faithfully build that ark and to follow God for over a hundred years. Now, let's look at Genesis chapter 7. It's interesting. We don't really go past chapter 6 many times. And I think chapter 7, we continue to see Noah's faithfulness to God. It starts out, it says, the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark. You and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female. The way he goes down here, up down to verse four, the next verse, he says, Seven days from now I will see rain on the earth for forty days. In forty nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old. 
when the flood waters came on the earth. So God says, Noah, I want you and your family to go in that ark and close the door seven days before the flood began. I wonder what that was like. Seven days. He was in there a week before the flood even started. The rains even started. I wonder what it was like outside. Horseshoe pits. Barbecue. Oh, look at Goody Two-Shoes in his big ship. Talking about God's judgment. We don't believe a word of it. We don't care about your message. Why are you locked up in there? Are you afraid of us, you nutcase? And then the rain started. Wow. What must that have been like to have a picture of that? Then we move on through Genesis. We come to chapter 9. It's kind of interesting. It's the first mention in the Bible of wine (laughs) in the very outset of it. Trouble lurks. In verse 20, chapter 9, we read, Noah, man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And then we read about his sons. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders, walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so they would not see their father's nakedness. Now, the point here is it talks about these sons. Two sons respond wanting to preserve their father's dignity. But one son, he shows that he resented his father and his message and his walk with God. And he was actually rejoicing in the failure of his father. It's kind of interesting. You just think about the connection between Adam and Noah. They both sinned while eating fruit. Noah from the fruit of the vine and Adam from the fruit of the tree. Uh, They both became naked and they both were provided a covering by someone else to cover up their nakedness. Both of them, their actions led to a curse that had a severe effect upon mankind. But there's also a connection the other way. To the grace of God that Noah discovered and found through his account. Just read a couple of these. Uh, Noah found grace in God's eyes. Noah 6 verse 8. We read that wonderful truth. Simply what I just said. That he found grace. He found grace. He found a, a place of safety in the ark. When God's wrath was dispelled. We also find a place that's safe in Christ, rescued from judgment that will occur. In fact, the, the word that's used for pitch when it describes the construction of the ark, it comes from the same root word that we see the word atonement in the Hebrew, the sacrificial system, which is a picture of God's atonement in the ark. There was a chance to be saved from God's judgment. Picture of God's mercy, of His grace. Another analogy, the ark was strong enough to handle the waves and the storm that pounded against it for more than a year. We don't always understand the storms that come our way. 
or what we'll face. But our Lord promises to be strong enough to help us through the storm, to get us through the winds, to face the difficulties of life. Another, only one door, only one way into the ark. wasn't a back door. And it was a way of safety to find protection. And of course we know that in Christ there's one door. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The one way that's true in which we can fully rest and know that God will not reject us or turn away from us. I'm always amazed when I think about the fact that God says when he saves us, finished it's complete it's never based on our performance it's always been about his provision it's always been about what he has accomplished you see when he says it is finished our salvation was won there as Warren Wiersbe says we don't fight for victory we fight from victory I love that the salvation that we have is secure John 10, 28 and 29. In the King James, it says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man be able to pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. We rest in the hand of the Heavenly Father, and no power, no person, can wrench us free from His grip of grace. That holds us securely. In Noah's day, they entered the ark for safety. And we enter the ark of Jesus Christ to be safe forevermore. God had shut them in. He closed the door so that the waters could not overtake them. So that they would not drown. And when we are closed in Christ, we are completely safe from judgment because Christ took upon himself the punishment that we fully deserved. And we will never be cast out or rejected. Another one. Those who entered the ark with Noah emerged to find a newly constructed earth, a new beginning, a new start. Likewise, in the ark of Christ, there will eventually be formed a new heaven and a new earth as new life will reign in God's coming glory. Jesus will succeed fully in that mission. You see, as you look at the ark, there were no lifeboats hanging on the side of Noah's ark just in case they decided, we'll abandon ship. Noah and his family didn't bring along any kind of life jackets. There weren't plastic cards in the seat in front that give them instructions in case of an emergency <laughs> that would happen. No emergency portholes. They were safe in the ark of God and were safe in the hands of Christ. That being said, just two basic truths as I close. Faith is trust in Christ, His Word, even when things seem impossible. There is hope in God. And secondly, faith is obedience to God's will even when it requires us 
to do what we cannot understand and to see where it's totally pitch dark. We can trust him. There was no middle ground for Noah. What he preached seemed insane, but he had a confidence in the hope of his relationship with the Father. He calls us to have that confidence. Amy Carmichael, the Irish missionary to India some 60 years ago, said there's much talk in the church, but so much shallow living. I wonder if it's because there are so few people prepared to be like the pine on the hilltop, alone in the wind for God. A solitary pine tree on a hill, alone in the wind, but with God. That was Noah. Alone, but never alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this one in the hall of faith, Noah. Father, who was faithful to cry out a warning and a way of escape. And to go beyond that and and build the way of escape, the boat, Lord, that you had called him to build. But Lord, no one listened. No one wanted to come, Lord. But his faithfulness, Father, was what mattered most, not the response of those around him. Father, we long for a response of people to find the forgiveness of Christ. Help us understand, Lord, that our safety, our security in Christ is not based on what we're able to accomplish. It's based on what you have accomplished. And Father, as your people remind us, Father, of that wonderful truth, Father, I I just ask that you guide us tonight as we think about what you want us to do, Lord. Um, May we hear your voice and may we follow you. In Christ's name we pray.